Good evening, everyone. We uh, are going to look at Colossians chapter 2. You may remember it's my turn to preach in the evenings. Uh, we're going through the book of Colossians. And uh, this evening we get to the second chapter and we'll pay attention to the first seven verses. So you may want to turn there as we refer back to the different points of uh, concern and of importance that we find in those seven verses. So uh, just a quick prayer and then we'll dive into this passage. Let's pray, pray together. Father, again, as we open your word, we do not want to do it flippantly. We want to do it carefully. We want to make sure, Lord, that what is said here is what you want to be said. We want that you help us in our hearts to not only think of those who need to hear what is said, but we ask that you help us to apply it to our own lives. We thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, for the great encouragement that he can be to us, but we thank you also for the challenges that he leaves us with. So encourage us, please, and challenge us, please. Amen. Colossians chapter 2 from verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How many of you have ever been in a war situation? I'm talking about real war where bullets fly. No one? Well, I have. Wasn't, wasn't as severe as my, my illustration. In the, in the Afghanistan war, it often happened that uh, the American soldiers will land themselves into trouble. As they uh, moved around in the country, they would often find themselves in a war situation where they would fight the Afghan rebels. And often it would happen that uh, a group of soldiers will um, be surrounded by these Afghan rebels. And uh, they, would be, they would fight for a time, they'll be tired, they'll get to a point where the, uh, the bullets are almost done, and then they can call on another weapon. Now, this weapon is very, very expensive, but it's extremely effective. Now, this weapon has the ability to take out the enemy, even when the enemy is in close proximity to the soldiers that need to be rescued. That weapon is called the Fairchild Republic 810 Thunderbolt Mark II looks like that. When the Afghan rebels would see or hear that weapon coming, they will run. No doubt about that. It is affectionately called the warthog. Not sure why. Just show that picture again, please. 
I suppose because, because of its tenacity. I've never run into a warthog before, so I'm not sure how dangerous it is, but that certainly is dangerous. And if I was an Afghan rebel trying to kill American soldiers, I'll run. Christian, you and I are in a war zone. Bullets are not flying, but there's a spiritual attack on us and in us all the time. We are surrounded by an enemy. And this enemy wants to render you useless in your service to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This enemy is an experienced fighter. And this enemy also has sympathizers and supporters from within. Satan and his sub-demons outside wanting to come into your mind and heart. Sympathizers in your mind and heart already. Working with Satan to turn you into an unfaithful servant of Jesus. But there is a warthog. There is a weapon that you can call on. And that weapon is extremely effective. Do you want to know what that weapon is? You'll have to wait a little bit to the end of this message to find out what that is. We need to lay the groundwork first. So in any battle, if you don't do the groundwork properly, the weapon is not going to be effective. So Paul writes to the Colossian church, a church in the midst of a spiritual battle surrounded by the enemy and its soldiers and inwardly incapacitated by the sympathizers of Satan. Selfishness and greed and envy and jealousy and self-righteousness all working together to get you not to serve Jesus and his church. Paul reminded the Colossian church of the importance of the eternal hope in Jesus in the previous chapter. He also encouraged them and us to live lives showing the value of Jesus in society, the value of Jesus in relationships, and the value of Jesus in our worship. And now in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, Paul gives them and us three aspects of service that is characteristic of a faithful servant to the church. Those three are the right heart for faithful service, the desired result of faithful service, and the long-term benefits of faithful service. If you paid attention, you may ask at this point, well, where is the weapon, man? Patience, patience. We'll get there. Like the A-10 warthog, an effective weapon makes its appearance unexpectedly. It will. So let's start with number one, laying the foundation so that we can get to that weapon that will make sure that the enemy runs. The right heart for faithful service we find in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 3. Read again with me, please. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." The word translated struggle that Paul claims he does for the churches as he attempts and is very effective in serving the church, that word in the Greek is agon. And we get the English word agony from that word. It means to put in an effort in spite of circumstances. It means to put in an effort more than what would usually be required. 
So Paul puts in an effort in spite of circumstances in order to serve the church. Not only where he is, but also the wider church. Remember, when Paul wrote this, he needed to put in an effort. He needed to agonize. He was in jail when he wrote this letter. Agonizing over the words that he wanted to use. Maybe even agonizing as he prepares Tychicus and Onesimus for the work of ministry as he sends them to the church in Colossia. At the heart of faithful service is effort. Paul goes on to say in verse 2 that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. The ultimate source, the ultimate source of Christian encouragement is Christ, right? Here is Paul's concise argument pointing to the ultimate encouragement, which is Christ. Just follow along in the verse. He says, hearts may be encouraged. In what way? He says, they are knit together in love because of Christ and for one another. For what purpose? To reach, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God's mystery. Well, what is God's mystery? Christ, the anointed one, is God's mystery. In the Old Testament, the mystery was, who will he be? When will he come? What will he do? What will he look like? That mystery revealed in Jesus, the Christ, for us who live on this side of the New Testament. Christian hearts are encouraged when you serve not the church, not the elders, not the missions committee, not the tea duty organizers, not the members of HBC, firstly. Christian, your heart is encouraged when you serve Christ by serving the church, by serving the elders, by serving in the missions committee, by serving tea and coffee, by serving on doing door duty, by serving bringing flowers. <laughs> Put another book there. <laughs> so our thinking is then, Jesus, I want to please you. Look at the flowers that I brought to please you. Jesus, help me make good coffee so that your people's hearts will be encouraged as they drink and talk and disciple one another to become more like you. The heart of faithful service is encouraged and encouraging. And can you see already that Paul, although he's saying, I want you to know that I'm agonizing over you. Paul also says so many times in many of his letters, rejoice. So this agonizing is not a gloomy and a dreary and a difficult agonizing. It's putting in an effort, knowing the joy in that effort. So the heart of faithful service is encouraged and encouraging while you make an effort. And then point number two, the desired result of faithful service we find in Colossians 2, verse 4 and 5. I say this. I, I, I've just told you what the heart of service should be. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. 
Being a, fa- being a faithful servant is not always easy, is it? You serve, you do your best, and very few appreciate what you do. Instead of appreciation, you get criticism. The tea is too weak. The flowers are not here. The flowers are too wild. The flowers are too big. They're too, they're too small, too colorful, too bland. The music is too loud. The music is too slow. Too many new songs. Not enough new songs. And I'm not saying that requests coming from those in the congregation to those who serve are not valid as long as they come in order to improve the main goal of our service, and that is to please Jesus Christ. If those come, if those criticisms or comments come and they are given for personal reasons and not with the right heart's intent, encouragement, you may want to then not say anything. But, faithful servant, people will criticize. What is Paul's antidote? Paul says, don't be led into believing something that is false. What is true servanthood? True servanthood is for Jesus Christ. You serve him. Your mind is opened to understanding who Jesus is. Because of this truth, you can rejoice in the good order of your service to him through his church and in his church, and you can find reason for rejoicing in the firmness of your faith. The result of faithful service is doing a good job. Good order. While keeping your eye on the approval of your Lord. Firstly, and almost exclusively. No matter what other people say or do, that may discourage you. You are with Paul when he writes to the Ephesian church saying, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Ephesians 6 verse 7. Good order. You do not approach your serving with a don't care attitude. You plan. You put in an effort. You agonize. The result of faithful service is joy in spite of people. Because of Jesus. Who do you aim to please when you serve? Let it be Jesus. So here's what we found so far. To serve the church means to have the right heart for faithful service. It also means that you aim for the desired result of that faithful service. You aim to please Jesus. And for that reason you make an effort. And then number three. Number three will take a bit longer than one and two. So don't think you're going home early. Early. The long-term benefits of faithful service. Point number three, Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So before we reveal the weapon against the enemy, I have to ask you who are here today, is verse 6 true for you have you can you confirm that you have received Christ Jesus the Lord don't be deluded as Paul warns don't believe false reasonings it is not based on and it is not secured in a decision that you made in the past it is the reality of reacting to his call come and 
follow me. Jesus will not be Savior without being Lord. You can't claim to have played any part in your receiving of that gift. But you can know that you have received him. Christ the Lord gives you an idea of how you will know that you have received the real Jesus. Is he ruler in your life? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Do you desire to obey him as you serve him in the church? If not, you must want to and can start today. Now, today can be your time of salvation. Just ask Jesus to make you one of his followers. Ask Jesus to be your Lord. As for the Christians here, be reminded of the command in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walking in him means living with Jesus as if he is at the center of your life. If you have received Christ Jesus, then he lives in you through the Holy Spirit. You can ask Noah. He knows that. If you have received Christ, then you will want to live in him more and more. You will want to walk like he walks more and more. You will want to talk like Jesus talks more and more. You will want to think like Jesus thinks all the time. You will want to be more and more like Christ Jesus. Have you received him? Then walk in him. It means that your actions and your decisions will all change. Your decisions and your prayers will be, Lord, I'm thinking of changing my job. Will this new job allow me to give more opportunity to walk in you? Lord, I want to get rid of this sin because walking in you does not include this sin. Lord, I want to marry that lady or that gentleman. Lord, help me to see how that will help me to walk more in you. Lord, I only want that. I only want this specific thing if it will help me walk in you better. Lord, we need to decide how our children spend their afternoons. Lord, help me to see how that will help me and them walk in you better. Lord, how can I be of service? Jesus says, you will want to walk in me when you serve. If you desire to live your life for Jesus, then Paul gives the framework to follow in verse 7, Colossians 2 verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So you see three parts to living with Jesus here that Paul gives us. He says, you were taught, you are established in the faith, and you are rooted and are continuously being built up in him. You will live a life reflecting a Jesus character more and more when you are rooted and built up in him. How? Through the Bible. The Bible is our document that we use. We don't use anything else, which means that 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 is actually true. It says all scripture, the whole Bible, is breathed out. It is spoken out by God and it is profitable not only competent, not only adequate, but profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
If you've not yet memorized that verse, make a note. And then what follows is, why does it happen? So that you and I can be prepared for all the good works. See how Paul, Paul Kim comes back to service all the time. The Bible contains all you need to make changes in action, attitude, and thinking. It teaches you about the real meaning of life. It convicts you of potential wrongdoing. It corrects your faults. The Bible trains you into becoming like the perfect person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate example, the template of faithful service. The benefit of faithful service is becoming like Jesus. The benefit of faithful service is in showing those you serve what the character of Jesus looks like. Whatever you do in serving the church, whether it is bringing flowers or moving chairs or opening the building or serving coffee or evangelizing or giving lifts, are you showing the character of Jesus? as you plan to do it, and while you are doing it. Now you can say, well, where is the 810 war talk? Where is the weapon that will make the enemy flee? Do we need to make the enemy flee? Yes, we do. Because the enemy will want you not to serve. It is in verse 7, as we conclude. But read with me from verse 4. Colossians 2 from verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Just park it there for a moment. We see how Paul brings the argument of service, the attitude and the benefit of that service and uh, the way in which we need to serve. Then he says, here's an overarching ability that we have as Christians that most other people don't have. Abounding in thanksgiving. Why do I say that is the weapon? Well, because John Piper says so. That's a joke. But let me explain it to you. The enemy wants to render you useless in your service to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he knows exactly how. And this enemy also have, has sympathizers and supporters from within. Satan and his sub-demons outside wanting to come into your mind and heart, sympathizers in your mind and heart already, working with Satan to turn you into an unfaithful and a useless servant for Jesus in the church. Satan and selfishness will rob you of your joy. And thanksgiving and joy are great friends. And the one functions better with the other. Joy flies out the window when gratitude goes. Here's an example. If you wake up tomorrow morning and your first thoughts are about your lack of comfort, your lack of health, your lack of finances, your lack of resources, your lack of giftedness. Then your day goes downhill from there. When you have a family bry and the discussion goes towards the potholes and the power shedding and the water cuts and the corruption, what fun. What joy. 
where's the gratitude? But if you wake up and are reminded of what you have in Jesus, if you remember that you are firmly rooted in Him, that you have opportunity to walk in Him, if you are reminded first thing in the morning that all that you have and don't have is because of your Christ Jesus, your Lord, enemy will, will flee. Satan won't be concerned about you while you grumble. He'll just leave you in your grumbling because then you are useless already. Now you say, well, that's one way of getting rid of Satan then. Let me just grumble the whole time and he'll leave me alone. But then he wins. Christian, you don't want Satan to win. The soldiers in our example came under attack because they were a threat to the enemy. If they were sitting there having a braai with no guns, hippie clothes, like cool man, why would the enemy attack them? But they were a threat. You, if you walk in Christ Jesus, if you serve the church in the right way, with the right attitude, you are then a threat to the enemy. And he will want to take you out. But you have a weapon. Yes, the activation of that weapon is prayer. Yes, the guiding of the accuracy of that weapon is the Bible. Just as the soldiers need to direct the 810 warthog to where the enemy is, so you want to direct your prayers to where your enemy and his sympathizers are. Lord, Satan is busy somewhere. Not sure if he's now doing this to me, but if he is, Lord, then I want to get rid of him. Lord, here is my greed and my lust and my envy and my bitterness and my jealousy and my laziness, all working together with Satan to fulfill his purpose for me. I want to get rid of it, Lord. If you, if you realize that, then you go and you find the verses in the Bible that will target that enemy and blow it right out of your heart. And you call on your available weapon, gratitude. Gratitude is your offense and your defense. And it sounds like this. Thank you, Lord, for a body that allows me to carry cups, for eyes that allow me to see the colors in the flowers, for hands and feet that can take me to the door and help me to turn the knob and to handle the keys. Thank you, Lord, for a face that can smile and a voice that can greet and welcome. Thank you for a church where I can worship. Thank you for many who serve. Thank you for my home. Thank you for my loneliness that allows me to spend more time with you. Thank you, Lord, for the challenges in my work. Now I have more reason to speak to you and to listen to your word. Thank you, Lord. And Paul confirms this attitude later in the letter, doesn't he? Colossians 4 verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We conclude. Faithful service. With a heart intent on serving to encourage the saints, working for the result of faithful service, joy in living with Jesus and showing his character more and more as you and I serve, with the benefit of faithful service, becoming more and more like Jesus. And when you find serving in agony like Paul did, engage the warthog, call on gratitude. Gratitude makes you serve even when criticized. Gratitude preserves your joy in serving, even when it is challenging. 
Gratitude helps you focus your mind and heart on who you are actually serving when you do flowers or make coffee or give lifts or play in the band or preach or welcome new people or evangelize. How about we aim to be more like Jesus as we follow Paul's example of how Jesus served? And is Jesus not the perfect example of serving? He himself, when he came to earth, did not come for his, own, for his own purpose, but for the purpose of the Father. He gave all. You and I have not even bled. Let's serve. Amen. Father, as we think about the example that Paul gives, our minds must go to that perfect example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we so want to say with all our hearts that we love him and we we obey Him, and He is Lord in our lives. But we know that we so often live lives that do not show the value of Jesus. So I pray that as we think about our lives, and as we think about where and how we can better serve, that we will remember that our service is to the Lord Jesus Christ as we serve in His church. May we never think that we are better than others to serve in certain places and others not. Help us, Lord, to do what it is that you want us to do, to be effective, and that's for Jesus' sake. Amen.